0: Hello and welcome to the Siemens Security by Design podcast. I'm your host, Lee Harrison, Product Marketing Director of Tessent Safety and Security product line within Siemens EDA. Our aim with this podcast series is to explore the world of safety and security requirements and technology for IC design. I'll be talking to experts from all over the globe who are deeply involved from both a technology and a research perspective, giving you a truly unfiltered view on what we are doing and what we need to do to make IC safe and secure for critical applications. The IoT market continues to grow with a predicted 14.5 billion devices being connected this year, and 27 billion devices being connected by 2027. A high number of these devices are now being used in environments where security is a critical requirement. But where do you go for guidance and best practice? The IoT Security Foundation publish a Secure Design Best Practices Guide. Today, my guest, John Moore. John is the co-founder of IoT Security Foundation. He's got an extensive working background with TechWorks and comes with an extensive IC design background. Hello, John, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, Lee. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's good to be here.
0: Let's get started. So the IoT Security Foundation has a fundamental mission to help secure the Internet of Things. Can you share with the listeners what the organization does and how it supports IoT designers? Sure,
1: I'm very happy to do that. But if I I start really from the beginning uh, and how I came into this, and it may well be that a lot of your listeners are not security experts. In fact, they probably are not. They're probably developers. Now, my background is in embedded systems. And as you know, Lee, I was a founder of a chip company but in about 2015 i was asked to take a look at uh, security in iot i was working for as you know a semiconductor trade association here in the uk and so i thought it was really quite strange that i was being asked to go and look at security for something that i had no background in but i did i went and had a look i confess at the time i thought it was something which was a little bit esoteric and part of the bigger world of cybersecurity and wasn't cybersecurity uh, very mature Well, it didn't take me too long to look at it to realize that there were massive issues. And so the summary of that time for me is I looked at what we did in in the era of the PC. The PC, you know, used to be standalone desktops. Then we started connecting them up and that's when security became a thing. And as we know now, we are quite used to doing updates with laptops the next era was the mobile era. And you and I have been around for long enough to be through that era too. So, you know, the mobile first. So security got a lot better in mobile. Not perfect, but an awful lot better. And then we moved forward into what I call the era of IoT, everything becoming connected. And that's the point where I got asked to take a look at it. And what happened was all of this, the gains that we'd made in mobile and PC suddenly were forgotten in IoT. largely because With the mobile era, we had this technology that we can embed in anything, this connectivity. Once you connect things up, that just changes everything. So my days as an embedded systems engineer, I didn't have to think about too much about security. I did think about it. You know, if someone was tampering with your devices, they had to be there physically. But once you start connecting things up electronically into networks, then suddenly your attack surface becomes massive. Now, that's my entry point. Next week here in the UK, there's going to be an AI safety summit at Bletchley Park. And it's interesting for me because that's exactly what we did back in 2015 to help us understand the status of security in IoT. We did a summit and we did it at Bletchley Park. And the outcome of that summit was we needed to do something. There needed to be a response. And it couldn't wait because the need is now. People were deploying IoT and connecting things up but there were gaping holes in the security. And you didn't have to look too far to find horror stories. In fact, I used to maintain a slide which had case examples of poor security, but I I just stopped because there there was just too many and more. You'll find them. So the status at that time, the word I was using, and in my history, my journey, I consider that the time where IoT security was egregious. There were just too many examples of bad security. And largely because we know product guys are under a lot of pressure to hit their project timescales when you have a profit motive and no one's asking for security, you just go. You just go with it. So that was the status at the time. And at the end of the summit, which also was on the eve of a general election here in the UK, we decided to have a bit of fun. So we put our voting cards on the chairs and we said, has today been useful for you? Are we done here now or just think something needs to be done hereafter? And to use the vernacular, 97% of the returning votes on the day said something needs to be done. And that was the next stage of my journey, which was going out for the next eight months to go out to all the stakeholders I could find who had an interest in this area to say, something needs to be done, but what What do you think? What we concluded at the time was that we didn't need to create another standards body because there was plenty of those and we ought to make use of them. So what we concluded, because the need is now, and we didn't want to be encumbered by lengthy processes, best practices. And that's a long way of answering your, uh, your question, Lee. That's why we decided that the IoT Security Foundation, when it was launched, it should launch by creating best practices. And our target audience was very much developers who needed knowledge but couldn't go away for two or three years, uh, you know, to to get that knowledge? So we needed to give them something which was accessible and actionable, and that's why we, you know, we started producing, as you mentioned, our best practice guide, very much one of our most popular downloads from the IOTSF website. But its companion is the uh, IOT security assurance framework, which is much more detailed and exactly the sort of thing that developers can use as a tool to make sure they've covered all their bases and we itemize pretty much everything we can think of but that doesn't mean to say that everything needs to be included it just needs to be considered so if it's not applicable it's a case of saying that's not applicable but it's a very comprehensive list in terms of the best practice guide that we put together the team the working group and the chair of the working group said to me what we're aiming to do is to provide a, a very quick transfer of knowledge from all of the areas we think are important to the person who's using it. So he had this mental picture that there was a developer in their garage and they could just take one page out and put them on their wall and say, yes, we've got that, we've got that, we've got that. So the best practice guide itself, that one is a very comprehensive introduction, which then goes off to more text, more detail. But what it's aimed to do is, is give the developer a very quick understanding of all of the areas that they need to look at. And then, as I say, other materials that we have, including the framework, really help them make that next those next steps.
0: I've looked at the, the Best Practices Guide myself. It's, like I say, it's, it's really comprehensive. It's very readable from the perspective of it's not a huge document, but it gives you all of the key points up front and, and really, really useful document for anybody embarking on this, this kind of space. Since that inception, have you seen security within this kind of IoT industry develop? How has it changed since you founded the IoT Security Foundation?
1: Well, I think there was. What I should also do is put it in the context of where IoT was at the time as well. For those of you audience who are familiar with the Gartner hype cycle, we were seeing IoT um, right at the very peak, I think, of inflated expectations or or whatever that is at the very peak before it drops down. So nobody was really looking too hard at security, but it's absolutely essential if you're going to connect things up, as I hope I kind of alluded to earlier. So what we found is, you know, part of what we were trying to do at the time was just help raise awareness of what insecurity means. And for anybody who's developing products and wants to be around for any length of time, then if they continue to do it, then they're actually creating themselves a technology debt. That is, insecure products will have to be attended to at some point. So it may be costly in the long run. The awareness piece, I think, has worked. It's not perfect yet. They're still interesting. And maybe go on to a little bit of research that we're going to publish soon later on in the conversation. But many more companies are acutely aware of the importance of security. Governments around the world are aware of the importance of security. From an observer's point of view, but also being part of the process too, what's, what's been interesting to me is the, the pace at which regulation hasn't really happened. It's coming through now, and it's coming through very strongly. But the reason for that, when you look into it, regulation is just so hard to do. It's so hard to do and get right. It's uh, the thing about security, context is key. And you know it depends. It's in the detail. It depends what your application is and what you're trying to protect to the measures that you take. So to try to regulate that is really quite difficult, but it's coming through. It's coming through strong. So I think security has come a long way. There was a groundswell. And for me, if I look forwards, I often used to talk about security and think about it in terms of uh, quality. I I think there were a lot, it's very analogous to quality. Back in in the days when I was doing the engineering, you know, sort of late 80s into the 90s, quality moved from being quality control by having somebody there inspecting things and checking everything looked all right before it went out the door over to a quality assurance and that meant that by design as subject to this this podcast it is assured because the processes are in place so it's not a checking it's actually assured by the whole process and i think that's very much what i see with security in a hyper connected digital world It has to be so. It has to be there. It's not a choice. Do you want to be at risk? Do you want to put your customers at risk? Do you want to put anybody they touch at risk? So it's a huge area that's got many and profound implications. So I think we're on that journey, significantly on that journey. We know regulation is coming through specifically here in the UK. It touches consumer next year. It's coming through in Europe. It's coming through in the US. It's coming through in all regions of the world. So the importance is understood. the slight delay, I think is because regulation is so hard to get right and it's so easy to get wrong. I've often said about the way that the UK approached it. I think it's done it in a very i want to say smart, but I 'm not going to say smart, smart things, different things to different people, especially in technology, but in an intelligent way, and it recognizes that it doesn't stand still. so what we put down today may not be fit for tomorrow so Rather than go through all the big, heavy machinery of parliamentary process, better to have some primary legislation that says we need to regulate security. And then the details of what those requirements are come in secondary legislation that says these are those requirements now, but we're going to review them uh, no later in the UK's case, no later than every five years. It can be sooner just to make sure we try and stay and be fit for purpose. And what that means is if they get it wrong, they can fix it relatively quickly and it's more comes through than we, we can attend to that. And, and I think, you know, in a, a dynamic and changing world, that's the only real way that you can, you don't want to tie yourself up in a straitjacket. You don't want to stifle innovation, but we do have a duty. Governments, all governments have a duty to protect their citizens.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the, the key things. We're all involved in, in standards and regulations, the definitions, and the whole process just takes so long. Certainly in an environment like security, which is changing so rapidly, it's so easy to get to a point that the standards and the regulation is kind of irrelevant by the time that it's actually released and launched. And I think that's where doing something like the best practices is is really key because you can have the standards and the regulations backing it up, but at least the best practices is, is keeping very current with what's what's happening in the industry and can pick up on, on all those kind of dynamic changes as, as they happen
1: yeah and and in fact this has been the discussion of you know at the board level of of iotsf for a long time is that what is our role what do we do how do we help the world how do we not become part of the problem and i'm sure many of your listeners will have seen that uh, cartoon that says a couple of guys doing engineering and these one says the other do you know there's 15 standards to do so and so and one guy says oh that can't be right we need one to rule them all and so they go away and they develop one. And the next slide is, uh, now there are 16 standards. So it doesn't help. And we didn't really want to be into that, that situation. So, again, where best practice is work really well is we can take the best bits out of all the standards that are there and, and summarize them up and present them as, as the best. Um, in terms of IOTSF, we describe ourselves as a, a pre-standards, pre-compliance body. And what we want to be is really leading that discussion. And as you say, the benefit of that, we can be agile, we can add new elements in and we can you know, take bits out that are no longer relevant much quicker. But what we can also do is inform those standards bodies as to what's coming down the line. And that's one of the advantages. So if you be a member of IOTSF, then you'll get to see that way in advance of what's coming through in the standards and then ultimately through the regulations. So pre-standards, pre-compliance. We're also looking at, we do best practice, but very naturally, once, once you get best practices in a good position, you then start to look, well, what's next? We also uh, are looking at what I call next practice. What's the future of security? And What's the role for us? How do we help shape those schema, which is going to be fit for the future in a dynamic and changing world? And we certainly have projects that look to those things as well. So whilst we don't want to be a standards body, we're certainly working in areas where we're producing open standards.
0: Focusing a little bit on what Siemens is doing around the whole area of security by design, we're very involved in the hardware side of the implementation, which sometimes brings a number of challenges because, as you said earlier, there's this trend. It is a moving trend, but often security is thought of as a, it is an afterthought. But when you're looking at security by design in the hardware sense, it very much has to be designed up front. It has to be part of the initial architecture. So it means kind of getting the designers to start thinking about security with their, their overall functional architecture. So that's the kind of challenge that we face in that a lot of people think of security as a kind of a bold on afterthought we need to kind of get designers to think about security up front and include it within their their architecture and then you've got as you said before one of the challenges always is that security sometimes is sometimes just thought of a it's a cost rather than a than a benefit from from a certain perspective so getting people to kind of extend their timelines and their their project schedules and add cost to their projects for something like security is a huge challenge so Are you seeing that change? Are you seeing people think about security more in the context of the overall design architecture, or are we still seeing it kind of added on as a kind of an afterthought or a a kind of a back-end process?
1: So if I stand back and look at the timeline, and I mentioned to you the analogy with quality earlier, I'm a firm believer that this is what we'll see, and if I put it in that context, what I think we're, we're seeing is um, so yes, the product guys, you know, how do they, they they understand the importance of security, but the conversation really needs to go higher up the organisation. It has to go up to the, the you know the C-suite, the most senior management, because getting it wrong is more than just the security of that product. It is key to business going forward. So if you're creating products which are insecure you're carrying liability. Not only are you carrying a liability, but you're also offering that forwards. So as somebody who's now steeped in security, it's so easy. If you've got a hammer, then everything looks like an hour. So when we look at it from a security perspective, there are lots of problems. But what we really need to do to encourage our business leaders is to think about it as risk and think about it as quality. So this is just table stakes for entering into connected markets in my view if you don't do it you shouldn't be allowed to play that should be it you 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 should be saying you will not be insecure you will not be carrying risk and liability so if we put that then down into the context of the product guys and especially down at the chip level because as we know there's a timeline for this stuff to be find itself in product in the market. And it starts with the, you know, the IP and comes into the chips and it goes into product and eventually you know, it hits the shelves. The chip guys, the guys that I speak to, are very, very frustrated because they've done a lot of good work in the chips to put the security mechanisms in because they know it's important. But what they're finding is the uptake is relatively low. People are not using those mechanisms. And you can see the, the the logic says, well, if they're not using them, why should we we provide them? My simple answer is, well, they won't may not be using them now, but they will. So keep doing it, make it, make sure it's there because otherwise we create this debt. So when I mentioned that that word earlier about where we were egregious, I could sense things were changing, and I, and I was using that word, and I was thinking, well, actually, egregious doesn't really. It's not, not really the, the right word that I would use right now because people are putting more security in and they are putting the provisions in. They, they, do, they are thinking about secure by design and security first. And then it says, well, why aren't people doing it? So I've got this new word now, parsimonious. Parsimonious. People don't really want to spend money on it, but they, they need to. What we need to do, though, is we need to make it just become the way things are done you know, As you and I have spoken about this in, in the past in, in our travels together, once everybody does it, the cost of doing it will drop. And, and what we need to do is we've got to make those trend to zero. So there's virtually no extra cost for just doing it right in the first place. So I think we're in that transition space. I see a lot of frustration with the product guys, certainly the chip guys, but it will come good um, because regulation is coming. And then those companies that are what I would call their approach to security is a is a compliance mindset. They don't do things unless they have to. That's gonna catch up. And then they're gonna the market will then have to start using these things. So so hold hold the line is what I'm saying to your listeners. It's very important. It's got to be there and this will only turn into a debt if if we don't do it.
0: From my perspective, I certainly see things changing because if you look at the published UK Semiconductor strategy. There is actually a whole section in there that that calls out security by design and funding for security by design. So I think at those those higher levels, it's certainly people are getting that that concept. And I, and I think what we'll see is that actually the security technology is what people are going to refer to as a almost kind of a sovereign technology because it will be almost independently developed on a on a per-nation basis, which is, uh, which is another challenge altogether. Can I just respond to
1: what you just said? Because I think it is a really important point. Certainly in the UK, I sit on the advisory board for a government program called Digital Security by Design that works off of significantly some technology that's come out of Cambridge called CHERRY, uh, and that's got capability hardware, you know, in, in, enhanced risk infrastructure. I think I've got the acronym right. Capability to help it enhance uh, recycling instructions. When the director of the program called me up a couple of years ago and said, John, will you come and sit on the advisory board? I kind of said to him, like, you know, okay, tell me why. I don't want to waste your time. Or, and certainly, you know, I'm busy doing things. But what I didn't realize at that time, bearing in mind I was thinking about this before the podcast, so I've actually been in electronics now for 40 years. I know, don't you don't have to tell me, I don't look at it. But yes, 40 years. And, you know, I started dabbling around with the 8-bit stuff back in the day, 6502, Z80, those sorts of things. But what he said to me, um, and it was a very simple phrase, it was round about the provenance of pointers, I think that's the phrase that I remember, and it's about memory safety. Because now I'm, you know, I know a little bit more about security, I could understand the key importance of memory safety. And indeed, if you look at some of the numbers that are published in terms of vulnerabilities that happen and exploits, a lot of them can be paired back to insecure memory. System So Cherry is looking to do that, and as I say, memory safety is a thing for developers, for chip guys. Memory safety, everything should be mem- memory safe. However you do it, I'm not not here to be a salesman for cherry because it doesn't exist quite yet, but memory safety is definitely a thing. and I think you know the UK has certainly invested a lot of public money in that, and you know, as uh, being on the advisory board, I hope that sees the light of day. It won't be the only way to do it, but it's certainly, you know, very promising research that's coming out, and your chip developers ought to take a look at. Sort of fun fact, I thought, you know what, I'm a, I do this stuff, I'll go and have a look at the, the detail of this, I'll be really interested, and, and I started reading it, and then I realised I'm not technical anymore. <laughs> it's beyond me now, but that's okay. It's not the role I play. But you're right that that is a kind of a sovereign technology, but it's not meant to be that way. All of the essential IP is in the public domain, and so I know some of the um, the proof of concepts that the boards that are being made have found their way into foreign lands. To because we we basically all everybody needs to be secure. Anybody who's insecure could be a potential risk. Yeah,
0: I think you just raised a good point huh, about the the Cherry architecture, and, and you may know that the Siemens embedded analytics technology that is developed here in Cambridge was also kind of a partner project to what was done with Cherry. And there's no kind of real overlap and competition. It's all additive technology. So whereas the Cherry architecture really looks at the security around the memory and the, the processing core, the embedded analytics technology kind of sits on the on the outside, and and provides the monitoring, the data collection for all the the periphery activities. So it's just another example of how security is kind of just it's not a, a one one size fits all type approach. You build up your security solution from a, a whole kind of range of different technologies, and plugging them all together builds the overall security solution. We've talked about the hardware parts, but then obviously you've got software that sits on top. So I always look at security as kind of kind of peeling the onion in that there's there's many different levels that you add to your system to build up your overall security solution. And I think things like the Cherry architecture and our embedded analytics technology sit very much in the core and the hardware of, of whatever you're developing, and then you build your your layers up on top of that. Because quite often I get asked. How does your hardware-based solution compare to a high-level software solution? It's kind of, well, actually the two things are still required. We're just adding an extra layer so that if all of a sudden your software security gets penetrated, there's these additional layers of security within the hardware. So it all kind of fits together in a kind of a really nice, a really nice story. The question I was going to ask, I think following on from, from talking about what's going on with the UK strategy staff is IOTSF kind of was originally born and created in the UK, but I believe it's extended and it's it's kind of reached out a lot further than that, and you kind of have chapters elsewhere across the globe.
1: So we were born in the UK, but right from day one, before we even were born, we knew that this wasn't a UK only thing. Cybersecurity doesn't stop at borders; it's global. The challenges there were there were global challenges which we we need to collaborate on. So IOTSF is a, an international membership organisation, and from day one we had members outside the UK. Obviously, a lot in the UK to start with, a home uh, county as it were, but increasingly membership outside. And you know we we've been talking to international governments right from day one. So. We had a, a few years ago, uh, one of the board meetings, you know, I was giving an update on where we were and the sort of impact that we were having, the impact that we could detect, but also knowing quite a lot of what we do doesn't, isn't easy to detect because people will download and we don't track people. We, we made a decision early on to not even ask for people to register their email address. You can just download it straight from the website. So we, we're counting downloads and where they're going. And they are all over the globe. USA is, is, is a, a key region for us. India is a, is a region, obviously Europe, and increasingly it's been in the Far East. So this was the discussion, but it was a case of, okay, how do we go further faster? Bear in mind, we're not for profit. So it's not about profit. It's not about gaining market share. Our dimension is how do we proliferate this stuff more efficiently? How do we get it to all parts of the globe? So we started to ask ourselves, did we ought to have some sort of presence in, in other nations? And the answer is yes. How could we do that? But without bringing in bureaucracy and friction in the system, so we decided that we would start a chapters program. We again looked at the various ways that the chapters could be constructed, whether we go top down, I put kind of a secretariat in and start a membership. Or do we come up, come from the bottom up, do a grassroots initiative? with the aforementioned that I've said that our role is really proliferation and we want to reduce the barriers we decided that we would go the grassroots level so we've invited our members to set up chapters in their locale and their fundamental brief is that to proliferate create a network have good networking create that conversation help distribute the uh, the materials but as you get going then start looking at at your own local flavor of IoT and where the gaps are, because we don't cover everything. IoT is pretty much everything that I can think of in the industrial world these days. So we need more to join what we call what we're calling the Super Blue Team, you know, blue being defenders in 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 sort of historically cyber, red teams are the offensive, but we're the defensive team. So come join the Super Blue Team. And what we've done is really reduce the barriers uh, to that. It, it's literally you can be up and running probably two weeks because we need to review the application and make sure everything is fine. But we've had, um, you know, we've got three chapters. That are, this is a relatively new initiative for us. Actually, we were about to go live just as the pandemic hit and we weren't sure whether the timing was right. So I spoke to the chairman. We concluded that we'll only find out if we try. turns out it wasn't quite the right time. But as we've come out of the pandemic, we've got now three chapters, and we're really pushing and encouraging people to create their own local chapters. So we've got Houston, we have Bangalore, and we have uh, Bucharest currently. But we've got a steady number of inquiries. I say steady number. We've probably got five or six regions in the pipeline. If there's anybody listening that is in Europe, in, uh, in the Munich area or in the Paris area, so Germany and France, we're very keen to create chapters there. So I would encourage you to uh, reach out, make contact and maybe start a conversation because we could do with your help.
0: And certainly from my, my experience and my travels, the areas that you're talking about, are really growing in terms of these type of developments. So I think it's a, an ideal place to, to kind of start to grow the, the message. So coming up, we've got the IoT Security Foundation Conference. For me, last year was actually the first time I attended, and it was a really unique experience. And I think one of the things, and we've talked about this before, one of the things that I found Came out of attending that conference, which is quite different to other events that I've attended, is because you're there with the whole bunch of security experts. They're all developing technology. It kind of comes back to what I was saying earlier around security is kind of a multi-layer solution. What I found at the conference last year, it's got a very, it's very much got a community feel about it everybody's there, we're all working together towards the same goal. There's no kind of real competition in terms of, well, that person's there, they're competition. It's very much a, a big learning experience and everybody's kind of really sharing what their technology is, what their thinking is. So I found it really unique from, from that perspective. From my side, I think I would, I would highly recommend anybody kind of working in the the security field to to go and check it out. It's a great event. It's one day, and there's a whole bunch of really interesting topics covered. So I I don't know what you've got lined up this year, John.
1: I think uh, for anybody in technology, although we've seen AI coming for many years, I think it really hit the mainstream in the past year. The theme of the conference this year, or the title of the conference, I should say, is called Securing the IoT in the Era of AI. Anybody who knows anything about AI, which is probably everybody now because it is hit mainstream, you'll understand that certainly for the for the uh, large language models, they're very hungry beasts. They need a lot of data. So where do you get that data from? Well, actually, IoT churns out quite a lot of data. So there's an obvious connection there. So, you know, we see this confluence of certainly interests and Certainly, my personal background: semiconductors and embedded systems coming together with AI and IoT, and uh, you know, cybersecurity. So we're really exploring what does AI mean to cybersecurity, because that's a new adversary that we've got to defend against. But at the same time, it's a new tool that we can use. So that's the theme we'll be talking about. That, but the kind of core of what we do. Is advancing security best practice. So we've got three, four sessions on security best practices, and we'll be talking about zero trust and continuous assurance. We're, what's also been interesting for me is a, a fairly recent development is the importance of um, bills of materials, and specifically software bill of materials, because you know just at face value they look at they look like a, an ingredients list, but you can operationalize that, and so you can automate, and again that kind of forms the the, the kind of basis of some of the next practice that we're looking at. We're going to be looking at what are those future foundations. We've got a session on, um, we have a working group that's really looking at the smart built environment. So rather than the technology developers, this is the user side. So how do we take that technology and how do we deploy it in the smart built environment? And of course, as I mentioned earlier, regulation's coming. So we've got a, a session based around regulation We'll be looking at the Radio Equipment Directive. We'll be certainly looking at the, uh, the, the UK PSTI and other regulation that, that's coming through there. So there's quite a lot. And what I would also say is we're, we're live on November the 7th in London at the IET down at Savoy Place. And so it's going to be a, an excellent event. I've got no doubt. I mean, I've been looking at the numbers. The numbers look really good in terms of attendance and a very... Broad church, I think, is, is, you know, what has been described, but there is, an, there is a, I think of it as ecosystem. So we've got people from government there, we've got policymakers, we've got developers, we've got consultants. You know, we've got pretty much everybody there represented in some capacity. CISOs, again. But our big claim, by the way, is that we are the longest running conference on IoT cybersecurity anywhere in the world. That hasn't been refuted. Um, We've been saying that for a long time because we are. But when we came into the COVID, the pandemic era, we wanted to maintain the momentum. So like everybody else, we were forced to go virtual. Virtual opened it up to a much bigger audience. So that that was good for us. And as we're now coming back to virtual, we had the discussion about do we need to go, should we do a hybrid event? And what we concluded is you just don't get the nutrition out of virtual events you know you can get the education but the physical events are so important but what we have done and we um, if we haven't already done it i need to check with the marketing guys but what we will be doing is announcing some um, virtual access to a couple of sessions it's not the full session but there will be certainly the, the plenary session in the morning we're going to open up so for those who can't make it you can still be there virtually also, for those who can't make it and are interested in the content, you know, at some later date, we will put the videos up on the website too. But the, the event, I think we all really understood the importance of getting together, being locked up for so long. Innovation, business, everything, um, your, your network, your own health works better when you're with other people. So um, thanks for the opportunity to have one final shout out come along to the conference November the 7th. It's going to be a good day.
0: Yeah, and no, I'd certainly recommend anybody thinking about it go along. And as I said before, I can't reiterate enough, it's very much a, a kind of community-type environment. I spoke to tons of people there last year, yeah, shared a lot of ideas, experiences, all of the kind of general things that you, you don't typically get to do when you're kind of working in your own, own isolation. So as we as we kind of slowly run out of time, so we talk huge amount about security. Any new projects coming up? Anything that you can talk about, or what's what's happening? You mentioned AI in context of security. AI just opens up a whole new can of worms. So I look forward to see what comes out of the conference this year. Because again, I AI is you kind of almost doing a bit of a reset in that it's it's very much in its infancy and um, everything's new to everybody. So, uh, I mean, we've certainly got a whole raft of projects and, and things going on with AI right now. So it's definitely a big topic of conversation.
1: Actually just yesterday I was on a, uh, a round table with a minister here in the UK that next week uh, on the first and second, uh, I think I might have mentioned it earlier in the conversation because it's front of mind just now. There's going to be an AI summit and what they're looking at is AI safety. And I think that's the term safety is a really interesting choice of words. You know, we've, we focus on security. Safety and security are related. But I think, you know, when we talk about AI, clearly it's, it, it can be used for good. There's a lot of application. We're all very excited about that. When we talk about safety, traditionally, safety aspects can be thought about pre market. You can, define the test conditions and how they work and define the parameters that go around it and say, yeah, that's going to be safe. One of the issues with AI, of course, is it can be unpredictable. There, There will be unintended consequences just by the very nature of its technology. And if it's not constrained in certain ways, it could do things which end up being bad. But also the bit that concerns us here at IOTSF is how it would be used in a security case. So the big difference I see, the simple difference I see with safety and security is safety incidents can come about by an unfortunate set of events. Nobody's really pushing them, but it's, it's an accident and it's happened. Security, security always has a human motive. What are those human motives beyond using AI to, you know, attack us or, or, or commit crime, you know, for steal from us, do do bad things? So we are really looking at all of those. Um, areas that, you know, the explainability, the responsible, but, you know, the the trustworthiness, I think that's for us is what we're really keen to try to explore further. So we're looking at projects around what we're calling engineering, trustworthy AI. So going back to when I was talking about Cherry, the, the thing I didn't say about Cherry, actually, that really struck me was that after all these years of working with microprocessors, Pretty much every single system we've worked in, you know, has has got fundamental flaws in its memory protection system. So we've got to fix the foundations because they were never really meant to be hyper-connected, you know, some of those older systems. So that's what got me interested. And I think I I see, again, something analogous here with AI. We we need to make sure the foundations are good. Trustworthy AI and cybersecurity, very natural uh, sort of bedfellows. So we're interested to make sure we put those The way we develop AI systems, think about those, thinking about the longer term. So we need to make sure we've got a level of transparency so we can explain things. It won't fix everything, but it will certainly be uh, because it's just so complicated and things, you know, it's a case by case basis. But if we can make sure that we engineer these systems to be trustworthy in the first place, and that means we've got to create sort of, again, schema around the way we do things. And we've got to make sure we've got provenance in all the bits all of those bill of materials, not just the the physical ones, but the software ones too, and what's increasingly called cyber bill of materials. We're hoping to um, get some projects going in in that area. Hopefully, um, by the time we get into the new year, we'll have have started.
0: As part of my role within Siemens, looking at overall safety and security, obviously on the safety side, being able to test products completely, thoroughly, making sure you've covered every single potential use case, Is critical, especially in some applications. We're starting to see AI thrown into that. And then, like you say, then then it becomes extremely difficult to test every potential operation and use case because it, it changes. And which ones are valid, which ones are not? Is it something that's naturally occurring? Is it something that's being hacked or tampered with? From a safety perspective, AI is is a huge challenge so um, yeah so I look forward to see how that pans out and, and hopefully we can we can talk more once that's that's kind of up and up and running. So I'm conscious we're, we're running out of time. I know we could probably carry on talking all day about security to close. I wish you best of luck with the IoT Security Foundation conference this year. I know we will be there in some way, shape or form. yeah and I, I look forward to, to talking to you soon.
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity. We could talk uh, to the cows come home proverbially, but uh, look forward to continuing the discussion uh, hereafter. Thanks for the opportunity.